Thank you, David. That was uh, very well presented, a very important point of history um, expressed in song and illustrated by uh, those lives of the, uh, the father's children. A very, very important time. And though it wasn't planned uh, on my part, uh, I think that's a great introduction to the consideration we're going to have this morning regarding the resurrection. You see, because if it ended there with Jesus hanging on the cross and giving up his life, if that were the end of the story, well, it would be a sad story, wouldn't it? It was sad. And by the way, I was kind of trying to hold back. I'm still a little teary-eyed right now. Don't tell anybody, though. You know, it would be a sad story. But there's more to the story, and we're going to talk about that here this morning. That was a great event on Calvary that day, but we're going to talk about the main event today, the main event. And, you know, it's good to be here and to celebrate this Easter, or I like to call it uh, Resurrection Day. You know, once a year we are reminded on this day of the resurrection. But of course, for the Christian, we're reminded every Sunday when we come together and we gather together, we're reminded that he rose on the first day of the week. And you know, that's why we meet on Sunday. Uh, we were just chatting a little bit earlier today, and they were talking about a group that um, meets um, Noah's dad. Where's he at? I forget his first name. What's Noah's dad's? What's your first name, brother? Greg. Greg, Greg was uh, speaking to some group, a fellow who goes to a group that meets on Saturday, and uh, you don't really know why they meet on Saturday. Well, we know why we meet on Sunday. We meet on Sunday because it is the first day of the week, and that's what we're going to consider a little bit this morning. You know, the resurrection, when we talk about the resurrection, it's not the postscript. It's not the end of the story. The resurrection is not the epilogue. It's, it's, it's not the end of the story. When we talk about the resurrection, we are speaking about a, the climatic, the climax of the point of God's redemptive work. It's not the end of something. It's the peak of it. It's the climatic work of Christ that God would do through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the church doesn't meet on Friday. And though Friday, someone said to me, I went to look at a job on Friday and the guy knows I'm a believer. And he says, well, I thought you'd be on church, at church on Friday. I go, well, Friday's important to me. Right. Friday is important to me, but if it wasn't for Sunday, Friday's value would be gone if it wasn't for Resurrection Sunday. So this morning we want to talk briefly about the main event, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we meet here on this very significant day because of that resurrection. The resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith. The resurrection is the main event. 
This morning we're going to be looking in the Gospel of Mark so you can prepare yourselves and go to the Gospel of Mark. But before that, you can hold your place there. And we touched on this a little bit this morning in the Lord's Supper. Before that, we want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're just going to read some verses to kind of get our foundation here. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 1. He says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received, that Christ died for the sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, or to Peter, then to the twelve, and after that He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, and some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. If you'll notice the words of the apostle Paul as um, he writes them down, the resurrection occupies this portion of scripture with the greatest footprint. It's the resurrection that's the center focal point on here. He makes reference to the death of Christ. He makes a reference to the burial of Christ, right? But the main emphasis and the evidences are given of the resurrection. The reason that the resurrection is, the reason why he does this is because the resurrection is not just some component of the gospel, Right? It's not some small component. It's not merely a feature of the gospel as the world in Christendom in general would hold it to be. It's not just a feature. It is, if I haven't said it again already, the main event. It is the main event. It is, in fact, the greatest um, event in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrection. It is the greatest event in his life, and because it's the greatest event in his life, it is the greatest event in all of human history. This is the climax of the work, the redemptive work that God has done. It's the cornerstone of the gospel promise. The resurrection It's the source of our eternal life. Without it, what you heard earlier would be just a sad story. It's more than that. Because, I think because the resurrection, it is so important, we can look in the scripture, and in all of scripture, we can see that scripture points to the resurrection. All of scripture points, whether it is um, in the Garden of Eden whether it is uh, the days of Noah and the redemptive work that God would do through Noah and his sons or on and on and on ago, we go all through history. 
God points to the resurrection. We're not going to go over the whole Bible. We're not even going to look at the whole New Testament. But I think for this morning, we're going to look briefly how all the writers of the four writers of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all tell one singular story. They all point to that one singular event. And that is what? The resurrection. And we're going to look at that this morning. Each writer, by the way, you know, they, they look at the resurrection with their own viewpoint and their own vantage, and they identify certain features and, and elements and conversations with people and, and even with angels, right? But all four of them brought together, they give us a composite account that is perfectly accurate and it's inerrant as to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospels agree. The Gospels are a seamless story and every part fits together with the other part. You know, each of the Gospels, and like they give differing de- details, but they're all in a very natural way. You know, something about the Gospels, when you look at them and there's differing details, it tells us that it's a natural way. It, it, wasn't, it didn't come from some hierarchy. It didn't come from some manuscript, right? It's very natural how they come away. And, and that, gives, that reveals the integrity of the Scripture. It wasn't some man-made thing, right? Each of the prospective writers would write uh, about that same monumental event, but with their own view, right? And by the way, they were all controlled by one author. The Holy Spirit would lead them into writing the Gospels and make sure that the record was absolutely true. So all four Gospels, for example... They all four record uh, that Jesus died. They all record that Jesus died. And not that he just died, and some will tell you, well, he kind of died. There's a lot of um, stories that go out there. But he really died. That he was truly dead, and they all give testimony to the fact that he was truly dead. Whether it was the piercing inside, right? Um, whether it was his crying out, whether it was his burial, they all give testimony to the fact that he was truly dead. And they all give record to the fact that he was buried, right? And he was buried on a particular day. They all give testimony to the fact that he was buried on Friday. And they all give testimony to the fact that he was put in a tomb, and that the tomb was sealed with the stone. And as well, the tomb was guarded by Roman soldiers. So they all tell us that as well on Sunday. That stone was removed. And they all tell us that the guards had vanished. (laughs) And they all tell us that the tomb was empty. 
So they all tell us the same things. They all tell us what the angels spoke about. They all tell us the same things. And then they all tell us that Christ appeared to his followers. And that first he appeared to the women, and then to the disciples, and then to the hundreds. They all tell the same story. So this morning, that was just introduction. This morning, we want to look at Mark chapter 16, so you can go there with me. And Mark 16 gives us the briefest account. So you can be sure you'll be home. I think we have a ham and oven with some um, um, El Rotten potatoes. I mean, all Rotten potatoes. <laughs> so uh, we're anxious to get there as well. But we want to read this short account of the resurrection, the account of Mark. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. And we're going to read um, the first eight verses. We won't go into it. There are some who say that Mark actually, in some manuscripts, uh, there are only eight verses. And, and, um, but either way, they're very fitting here. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. It says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him, the Lord Jesus. And very early on that first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, and it was a very large stone. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified? He is risen. He's not here. See? See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you in Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So this morning we're going to look at that passage and we're going to see three evidences or three points of evidence that, that, that give proof to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first one is the empty tomb. It's the most obvious one. second one is there was a heavenly revelation. And the third one is going to be the eyewitnesses. Now, first, the testimony of the empty tomb. And I want to think the empty tomb is a very, very, it's a convincing argument. Do you think it would be? It's a very, thank you. It's a very convincing argument. There's, and by the way, there is no record anywhere. There's no record in Scripture or there's no record outside of Scripture that records that the body of Jesus has been found. Now, every Easter, there are those who will, you'll see on the TV shows, they found this part of Jesus, they found his cloth, they found where he laid. But never has anyone actually testified that they found the body. There's no testimony to that effect. But before we look at that, first of all, we want to remember what the Lord Jesus had said. 
And the one thing that he had said before he died was that he would die. He had said all through his ministry that he was going to die. In Mark, he said it in chapter 8. And then he said it in chapter 9. And then in chapter 10, he repeats it again. And because there are so many incidences where the Lord Jesus is quoted as saying that he was going to die, those are just little little clips of what he spoke about a lot. He spoke a lot about his death. It was the theme of his conversation, right? He, he even described that he would be arrested by the leaders of the Jews and, and that he would be crucified. He, he, would be, he would be arrested, crucified. He, he even talked about how he would be buried, that he would be in the grave for three days, he spoke about these things, and he also said that he would rise again. It was, he spoke about these things. And, you know, he started saying these things even in John. In, in um, John chapter 2, he said to the Pharisees, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll what? I'll, I'll build it up again. That's right, I'll raise it up again. He said in Matthew chapter 12 that as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for what? How many days? Three days, right? He said that the Son of Man will be in the earth for three days. Repeatedly through his ministry, he declared that these things would happen. So let's look at the testimony here uh, of the empty tomb. Uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, well, when the Sabbath, hold it right there. When the And we're going to, Try to dig some things out here. When the Sabbath was over, we'll stop right there. The Jewish days, and we spoke about this a little bit earlier, in the days of Jesus, the Jewish days were counted by sunset to sunset. There wasn't any clocks. They didn't have mechanical clocks. Of course, I'm sure they had sundials and all of that. But as far as it goes, it was their days were set from sunset to sunset. You know, um, how do we count our days? Midnight to what? Midnight, right? Um, they counted them from sunset to sunset. Um, uh, and, and obviously because they didn't have mechanical watches or things like that, they did that. So it says here at sunset, Sabbath had ended. Sabbath was over. Luke says it was the first day of the week. Okay? And... Um, uh, they simply spoke this way in reference to the Sabbath. Their life was, okay, it was one day after the Sabbath or one day. Everything was in reference to the Sabbath day. So when we read here, when the Sabbath was over, right, we understand that, that it was the first day of the week. That's what that means. So early the Lord's day. The very day that Jesus said he would rise from the dead, we enter into Mark 16.1. Let's continue reading. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might come and anoint him. And here they are. Here's these women. Uh, and they had been with Jesus. There were, he had you know, uh, male disciples who followed him. And, but of course at this point, apart from John, they were all hiding, <laughs> right? But the women were there, and they were very, very faithful to him, right? 
Look back, we're in, in Mark, look back in verse 40, chapter 15, verse 40. And here at the cross, we're at the cross there. And there, the, the women, they were looking from a distance. Mark 15, verse 40, right? There were also women looking from afar. They were looking there from a, from, from a distance. And it was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the less of Joseph and Salome. And when, when he was in Galilee, by the way, when he was in Galilee, they used to follow him. These women would minister to him. They were there all the time. Luke, when the book of Luke, he includes some other women, a woman by the name of Johanna. She was probably there too. And many other women. Matthew includes the mother of Zebedee. Right, the sons of Th- or the, the wife of Zebedee, the, the, the sons of thunder, James and John. So there's this group of women who were there, and, and they were watching when Jesus was buried. Look here in verse 46, uh, Mark 15, verse 46. It says, When Joseph brought a linen cloth, he took Jesus down off the cross, wrapped him in the linen, laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out in the rock, rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph were looking on to see where he was laid. So they were looking. They could see. They saw this happening. And just the idea here, I think we're introduced to a very precious group of women who ministered to the Lord Jesus Christ. They believed in him. They loved him. They had heard him. They served him. They were true disciples of the Lord Jesus, right? But there's another interesting, wonderful, natural event or a form of natural realities going on in these stories as well. Mark says that very early when the sun was rising, look at verse 2, very early when the sun has... Luke says... They came at the early dawn. Matthew says they came when it began to dawn. John, he says they came when it was still dark. And, and, you know, all of those are from their perspective, and they're all true. You know why? Because dawn is not a static thing. It's a moving thing, right? You go from dark to light, right? So all of these are true that they're talking about. They're true. John says that it was still dark and, and Mary Magdalene came first to the tomb. So Mary Magdalene came first, but she doesn't start alone. Because, why? Matthew says that she started out with another Mary who was the mother of James. So she's arriving on the dark side of the dawn. She can see that the stone is removed. She stops... <laughs> She turns and she bolts out. She goes running. Why? She went running to look for somebody. She went, she, there, you know, and by the way, there's no record that she said anything or even passed Mary. We don't really know which way she went, but we do know that she saw the stone was, was moved and she takes off running. She bolts to look for Simon, Peter, or Peter. She bolts to look for Peter and, and for John. And, and she's, she's, she draws a hasty conclusion. You know what conclusion that she comes to? Somebody stole the body. She draws this conclusion. 
And, and the thought of the resurrection really didn't even... It was such a traumatic experience for them. The resurrection never even entered her mind, the thought of it. You know, and, and, and all, all along the rest, you know, everything that Jesus had told her, it just... He said over and over again, I'll, we, I'll rise from the dead. I'm going to die this way. I'll be buried in three days. And it doesn't even click. She doesn't get it. She just bolts. And look what verse 3 says. The other woman show up, and as they approached the tomb in the dawn, they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And it's a very large stone, says in verse 4. And they themselves didn't have the capability of rolling the stone away. They had sat across watching, right? They had watched when the stone was put against, by, put against the, 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 the grave by Nicodemus and Joseph, and they probably had some help to put the stone there. So they knew they weren't going to be able to remove it, and so they were talking about it. Who's going to remove the stone for us? And then verse 4, looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Wow, what a shock. I mean, they're already shocked by the events that began on Friday. They've sung that song and how traumatic it was and the confusion and the pressure and, and the, just the traumatic event. And now they get here and wow, it was a shock to them. And what do you think they concluded? Well, they concluded the same thing that Mary Magdalene did. Somebody stole the body. And you say, you say, well, didn't you think these women, they, didn't you think they came expecting a resurrection? No. They came expecting to find a dead body. They came to anoint a dead body. So it wasn't even in their thinking either. You know, and by the way, you know why? They had no idea what happened on Saturday. They had, think about it, they had no clue. Christ died on Friday, he was buried on Friday, right? Saturday was the Sabbath. So they had no idea what happened. And by the way, it was a very important weekend, Saturday and Sunday morning. A lot of stuff was going on, but they had no idea. Look at Luke, in, um, Luke says in, in Luke 23:56. Then they returned after seeing Jesus being buried and a stone being put at the mouth of the tomb. It says then they returned and prepared spices and ointments, right? And it was a lot. And they were going to come back and anoint the dead body. And it's, it goes on to say on the Sabbath day they rested according to the commandment. So they had no idea what was going on. Do you know what happened? Well, let's talk about it here for a minute. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And we talked about, a little bit about that this, this, this morning. It's amazing how the Spirit of God just works in the lives of the saints. We see what happens in Matthew chapter 27. Look at verse 59. You see the Friday burial, verse 59. It 
It says, when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and he laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and then he departed. So we have Joseph, he puts the body in the linen, he lays the Lord's body in the tomb and he rolls the stone in the entrance, right? Mary, it says later, Uh, In verse 62, that Mary, uh, Magdalene and Mary, they were sitting opposite the grave. So they saw the burial. Okay. And and then it says, um, Matthew chapter 60 or chapter 27, verse 62, on the next day. What was the next day? It was a Sabbath. What day was it? It was Saturday. So he was buried on Friday. And it says here, on the next day, which followed the day of preparation, right? So it was was on the next day. And look at what happens. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they gather together. So on the Sabbath, they go to Pilate. And they're not supposed to in the first place, right? So they, they, they were not supposed to enter into a Gentile format. But they go to Pilate anyway on the Sabbath. And they said, sir, we remember that when he was alive, that deceiver, he said, after three days, I'm going to rise again. So they heard him say this. And they were familiar that he said he would rise again. And, and therefore, they said, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples are going to come. They're going to steal him away. And they're going to say to the people, he's risen from the dead. And that deception is going to be worse than the first, right? So this is their plan. So what happens? So they go to Pilate. They say, we need a guard. Make sure he's a guard. And Pilate says this. So Pilate said, okay, you have a guard. He gave them some Roman soldiers, and he said, now go. Make it as secure as you know how to do it. Make it secure. So they went, they made the grave secure. And, and by the way, when the Roman guards made something secure, they made it secure. You want to know why? Because their life depended on it, right? The discipline in the Roman, in the Roman for, uh, army for a mistake could potentially cost your life, right? So they put a seal on it, and, and the seal kind of just identified that it was uh, the, by the power of Rome, and you weren't supposed to break it. So that's what happened on Saturday. And the women didn't know that. They had no idea. Why? Because they were resting on the Sabbath. That's what happened. But then there was something else that happened later on, deep in the dark of the night. And that was early Sunday morning. Early Sunday morning, something happened. Look at Matthew 28 and verse 2. Matthew 28, verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door. And he sat on it, right? So the severe earthquake was here. There was a, the, the appearance was, was like lightning and his clothing was like white as snow. And, and guess what happened? Scared the you-know-what out of them guards. And they shook with fear, even to the point they went into like a coma. They went into a coma. And, 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 you know, something interesting happened over that weekend. And the women, they didn't even know that. They had no clue. They didn't know these things had happened. 
There was the Roman guard all of a sudden sleeping in the darkness of night. There was an earthquake. There was a severe earth. It just happened supernatural. And in the terror of the earthquake, the the soldiers, they saw a blazing angel and they rolled away and sit on the stone. They were terrified. And the, the presence of that angel, it gives them some kind of a divine anesthetic or anesthesia and just puts them out. Well, when they come to, we read later on in verse 11, when they come to, they realize the body is not there. And they're in T-R-O-U-B-L-E. So they've got to figure out what to do. So they're not going to go to the Roman uh, captain because they know they're going to get in trouble. Anyway, they were responsible to the Sanhedrin. So they go to the Sanhedrin, who were the leaders of the, 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 the Jewish priests, and they tell the Sanhedrin what happened. And, of course, they pay them off. They bribe them. They say, listen, just say the disciples came and stole the body. And, listen, if anyone gives you any trouble, we'll, don't worry, we got your back. And, by the way, when this Gospel of Mark was written, that's what the rumor was. That's what the rumor was at that time. And so in verse 5, the women entered the tomb, and Matthew, go back to Mark, Mark chapter 16, in verse 5. <clears throat> the women entered the tomb, and, and they entered the tomb. Luke says, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus, right? They didn't find the body. Maybe Mary was right. Maybe somebody stole the body, Right? Somebody stole his body. Somebody came in. Did the disciples take him? Well, we know for sure that the Jewish leaders didn't steal his body because they were afraid that the disciples would, and they guarded the tomb. We know for sure that the disciples didn't steal the body because they didn't know where it was. We know the women didn't steal the body because they didn't know where it was either, right? Well, what about the Roman guards? You think maybe they stole the body? Well, they didn't steal the body because their life would have been in jeopardy. So the whole testimony of everyone at that tomb was that it was empty. And there was nobody to take responsibility for it. Oh, how about grave robbers? And there were grave robbers those days because people would put things in with the bodies in the graves. No. Well, the Roman guards were there to protect the grave robbers, right? So it wouldn't have been them. The body was there on Friday. The tomb was sealed with a large stone. The Roman guard, with all its authority, secured it. No one who followed Jesus Christ even believed that he would raise from the dead at this point. Right? So they didn't have a motive to steal the body. They didn't want to, they didn't have a motive to fake a resurrection. There's nobody to steal a body, but the body's not there. So what do we conclude? He was risen. Amen? The woman are in shock now. And here they are, they're in shock and and the shock is, is escalated. And now we come to the second point, the heavenly revelation. 
And we're going to move quickly here. In verse 5 it says, When they got inside the tomb, they saw the young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And Luke says that they were, there were actually two angels who suddenly uh, appeared, stood near them in dazzling clothes. And, and by the way, if you saw a dazzling angel, you uh, might not realize there were two of them. <laughs> you know, you'd be like, what? I would be anyway. Um, John says there were actually two. So they all testify that there's an angel there anyway, right? There's angels there. They saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And then he says to them, what? Don't be amazed. He says, don't be afraid. You're looking for Jesus? The Jesus from Nazarene? Right? The one who was crucified? You're looking for Jesus who has been crucified? And then the first declaration, they shouted out, He's risen! And it's in the passive. And it means He has been raised. Right? He's not here. You know, look at where things were. You know, after the trial, after the scourging, after the crucifixion, they still had no idea. There's an empty tomb, and then there's this shocking presence, and the only thing they can do is what? Just be amazed. Be amazed. This is not something that someone could fabricate. Amaze, it's, and it's an interesting word. It means kind of like a panic. They were, they were in panic, kind of you know, like every other time when an angelic being appears to some human on earth. They're just like... Right? That's, that's the idea. They're literally frozen. And listen, Luke says it this way. They were terrified to the degree that they bowed their faces to the ground. They just were like, wow. So it was amazing. Luke says that the angel also said, why are you seeking the living one from among the dead? Why are you looking for him here? Don't you remember what he said? You know, and then, then the first statement of the resurrection, Luke says it too. He is risen. He has been raised. Romans tells us that he was raised by the Father. Tells us in Romans. He's not here. Behold, here's the place where they lay him. Now, you have two testimonies. Testimony of the empty tomb. You have the testimony of the heavenly host. And with those two testimonies, there's only one plausible answer, right? To deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to deny the historical reality of an empty tomb, to deny the heavenly revelation by God himself, right, through his Holy Spirit. To deny that is to say that Jesus isn't Lord. And here we have these testimonies. But there's one more, and that's the, th the third, the eyewitnesses. The eyewitnesses. Let's continue reading in Mark chapter 16. Go, tell the disciples, Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And by the way, that day he met some of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then later on, he would meet the disciples in the upper room. And... A week later, the next Sunday night, he would meet him again in the upper room. And then 
Then later on, he would, they would finally do what they were supposed to do because remember when Mary saw the angels, they said, go tell the disciples, he'll meet you where? In Galilee. It took them a week to get there. I, they didn't get it either. They didn't get it either. And so he would meet them there. And I don't know why it took them so long, but eventually when they got to Galilee, he showed up there and there's a wonderful account of that in Matthew 28. You can read that. And then a, a, even a more fabulous account in John chapter 21. And there he confronts Peter. And he, he recommissions Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Right? And all of that happened was the post-resurrection in Galilee. And in Galilee, by the way, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that there were 500 people that saw him. Right? And at this point, some of them were still alive. So the women saw him, Peter and John and the rest of the disciples. They'll see him in the evening. Some of the disciples see him in the afternoon. They'll see him a week later, and, and they'll see him in Galilee. And according to Acts chapter 1, he spent 40 days with them, speaking to them and, and pertaining to the things of the kingdom of God. 40 days of an intimate fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amazing. Amazing. Massive eyewitness testimony to the risen Christ. Massive. And it's all right there. The empty tomb, the heavenly revelation, the eyewitnesses. Let me conclude this way. What does it all mean? What does it all mean? Well, turn with me, if you would, real quick to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And go to the end of the chapter. What is the purpose of this? And Romans 4:25 speaks of the significance of his death and his resurrection. Verse 25, it says, He who was delivered over because of our transgression. And by the way, that looks at his execution. It looks at his delivered over. being a, It's a technical term for being handed over for execution. Because of our transgressions, it goes on. In other words... Jesus died for our sins and then he was raised for our justification. Amazing. He was raised for our... And it, it links the resurrection with our salvation. It links the resurrection with our justification. And that's a big 15-letter word. I don't know how many letters are in there, but it's probably close to 15. Someone can count them. But it's a big word. But what does it mean, justification? Well, it means that we're just before God. It means that we are righteous before God. It means that you, we are holy before God. And it even means that, well, we're perfect before God. Well, how can that be? How does that work? Well, here's how it works. Because Jesus bore our sin in his death. And because his sin-bearing satisfied God, right? God gave us his righteousness. Isn't that amazing? The penalty of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. That's his righteousness. Justification is God crediting the righteousness of Christ on us. It's, it's imputing, and that's a good word too, the righteousness of Christ to our account. Our empty bank account is loaded. (laughs) 
with Christ's righteous work. Because God raised him from the dead, he was affirming the completeness of his sacrifice. He was confirming the satisfaction that God had the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because he bore our sins, well, we're then given his righteousness. Is that amazing? That's what it's all about. But look at this. Look at verse 5. Therefore, by the resurrection, we have been justified by faith, not by works. We don't earn it. Our justification isn't earned, right? It's, it, 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 we didn't earn holiness. We didn't earn perfection. We didn't earn any of those things. It came because we believed in the resurrection, right? We believe in the resurrection of Christ. And we have been justified by faith. That's what the resurrection is all about. We've been granted his righteousness. The war with God's over. You don't have to fight him anymore. We have peace with God. And by the way, it's not subjective. It's an objective relationship. God wants, and he's been from Genesis, pointing to the cross, pointing past the cross to the resurrection so that relationship could be healed. Well, that's not all. There's a lot more that comes because of the resurrection. Look at, look at um, verse 2. That's not all. We have obtained our introduction by faith into his grace in which we stand. Justified by faith, faith, peace with God, and we stand in grace. And that, that just means that you're there. And nothing can take it away. We stand complete in grace. Nothing can remove us. His children, they've made peace through Christ, and we're covered with his righteousness. We stand in grace. So, so... What comes out of the resurrection? Justification by faith. Peace with God. Standing in grace. But that's not all. Look at this. We have been given the hope of glory of God. And we exalt in that. We rejoice in that. We've been given a hope. We have been given a hope that we stand in. You know, we live our lives in this world anticipating for the believer the world to come. What God has prepared for those that love him. And there's one more thing. It's a hope that doesn't disappoint. It says in verse 5. It's a hope that does not disappoint because the love of God is poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We're literally bathed in the love of God through the resurrection. That's what the resurrection is about. The resurrection was all about making you righteous. The resurrection was all about making you justified before God. Through the resurrection, we stand in grace. Through the resurrection, we have a hope of glory. Through the resurrection, we receive the fullness of the love of God and his love. He loves us to the max of his ability to love us. These are the benefits of the resurrection. And that's why when you think of the resurrection, you can think of it as the main event. Because without it, it'd just be a sad story. We thank the Lord, right? 
Well, we hope that you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Not that he just came in the world as some little baby, but he came for a purpose. He came to die that his sacrifice might prove satisfactory before the God who loves you and seeks to have a relationship with you. We hope you've done that. If not, I'm sure there's somebody that will be willing to talk to you, one of the elders, or even I'll be around for a while too. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the grace we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the revelation of your word that declares to us our rightness with you because of the work that was done. The Lord Jesus Christ testified by his resurrection. In 1 Corinthians, we read that, Oh, death, where is your power? Death, where is your sting? Through the Lord Jesus Christ, it has no sting. It has no power. And we thank you for that. We pray, Father, that you'd be honored in our time here this morning and that we would um, live a resurrected life, glorifying you in our daily lives. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.